Hey, 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 Sunday morning, eight o'clock. Somebody's owner doing another Arizona schnoodle walk. Here we are. And what kind of preparation have I done for you today? What's in store today? And uh, it's kind of along the themes of being triggered, right? But what is it? Uh, Systems, how about systems and goals? So the best thing I can have to offer is systems and goals and uh, a little discussion about passion, having following your passion or having passion. So, uh, and there's a, I'm influenced now by Scott Adams' book, um, How to Fail at Just About Everything and Win and Still, still Win Big. So, um, he has a summary chapter about all the failures he's had in life. And this is the, the Dilbert cartoonist who we would all assume the guy's really successful, right? Cause he's got this famous cartoon. He's had a New York times bestseller and he's still doing pretty well right now. But the nice thing about him is he's transparent about all his failures. And, uh, by failing, he said, you learn stuff, right? And, uh, I've heard something similar from uh, a gal, J.T. O'Donnell, on job searching that I like, which is use the experience, learn, and grow model. So uh, you some things we might fail at and not do well at. And I guess there's just a human drive within us that we, we think everything's going to be success, right? And even if you're a, a baseball person, the guys bat, get it three hits out of 10. If you get a, you're batting, that's, that's successful, right? So there's a lot of examples in life where we really should think of um, things that look like failure as, hey, what do we learn from it? Let's move on. Rebound rate, 30-second rebound rate, move on. But it, it's just hard, and it takes time. And we'll all get there. But I, I, what I do like is uh, his review of all, all these failures he had, like starting restaurants and things. So on the passion side, he's saying like, well, I've he started a restaurant once. He had lots of passion the first couple of days. But then when he started looking at the numbers, he was not successful at it. So he's like, well, my passion kind of disappeared at that point. So, uh, and, uh, so we actually get passionate about the things that we're good at and successful at. And how do we define the success, right? We typically do with the numbers, but it's also, I think if we find it within ourselves to define success some way and that we compare ourselves so much to others, right? You know, we compare ourselves, I think, of this gal who was part of this entrepreneurial group, which is a really good one. They have a real basic com- concept, which is like, ask. And I was even reading in James today. It says, uh, you don't have because you do not ask. So if the, I don't think the ask method wants to go biblical or anything. But, um, if he wants to go, if he wants to, <laughs> he can. He can go back to James, I think it's chapter four. Uh, it says, you don't have because you don't ask. 
And the print, the real principle around the business, the entrepreneur business, is ask people, you know, a, a, a uh, in question and let them respond. Ask them, ask people, right? And one of my struggles with my, I think they actually should use the ask method in uh, our churches because I was just my wife is doing a solo this morning and she kind of was like, well, why don't you go? And I'm like, well, no, I'm, I'm just going to get triggered. I mean, I she's like, well, you know, what about Christmas is coming up and stuff and our kids and our, you know, asking people to go to the Christmas thing. I'm like, okay. You know, at first I'm like, I don't know if I want to go, you know, cause I'm going to get triggered. Right. So, um, I, I decided I could do the probably the Christmas thing because it's going to be like an hour and 50 minutes of it. It's going to be music. So I have to put up with five or 10 minutes of speaking uh, from a person. So probably even in the five minutes, it'll probably trigger me, right? Because I'm so sensitive. <laughs> but, but I don't know. I think my wife's probably pissed off at me. But that's like, I'm. This is me. That's my process. I, I got something to say, but I also have. Yeah, it's more than that. It's not just complaining. It's a better way. It's a better way. And the ask method. Ask. You know, like I was surprised at that meeting where I says, "Well, if ten families left the church, do you guys ask them, like, what, why they might be leaving or something?" You know. Yeah. Oh, we don't do that. We don't. Do <laughs> so that's like business 101, right? Get some feedback. And, and, you know, it's like this dance they do between, well, the church isn't a business, you know, but, it, you know, and uh, but then again, it is a business. Right. So it's this bipolar thing. It's like, no, we're not a business. Oh, yeah, we're a business. Yeah. So they just make poor choices because. Uh, they really should think of themselves as a business when people are leaving and say, well, why? Or you just get feedback. And then they'd be like, oh, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're not going to ask that. And then this one gal who went to a funeral there, some people said, oh, I haven't seen you in church. You know, she's like, well, I'm looking. He's like, oh, did you lose faith in God? It's like, it's like if you don't, the assumption is like, if you don't go to this church, you don't have any faith. So. Yes, I'm I'm wandering. What does this tell me about my brain? Whatever. I'm walking the dog. And uh we're but yeah. So yeah, I'm a bit pumped this morning. Um so where was I? I got a couple of things going there. Ask method, ask, ask people what's going on. Um, it's okay because you can better serve your customers if you ask them questions. Better serve, right? So um, what else? So moving on to failures, learning. It's good. Passion we talked about. It's like you're going to have passion about the things that you're doing well at. So figure that out. And... My own personal add to that or twist from my life experience is I expect 
like if I'm part of something big, right? Like, I don't know, just something minor, like making it the jet engines for the most expensive corporate jets in the world, you know, just something minor, you know, but the, 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 the jets probably fly the high net highest net worth individuals in the world, like Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. They're flying around on my engine, right? Like, not that I, it's not like my engine that I own, I'm a hundred percent owner in it, but I contributed to the, the engine. So, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I was involved in big things, but for me personally, what did it do? Well, I'm just a cog in the wheel. And, uh, my failure is like I expected that, uh, because I was part of something significant that I would be recognized and uh, be rewarded. Right? But doesn't I guess life doesn't work that way. So that's my failure. Bad idea on my part. So, but what do we learn from it? Learn, learn a lot of stuff. Learn that, uh, you know, the big glacier machine is moving forward and, they don't want anybody to be important. <laughs> Only that we want to select who the people are that are important. And uh, there's other factors involved besides knowledge and things. So, and, and the corporation is not going to define your greatness for you. They're not going to, they're not going to help you directly. They're not going to help you find your, talent and skills and what you're good at. In fact, it's probably just like, well, you have to learn on your own. That's kind of a career thing. The corporation gives you opportunities to try things and do things, but it's up to us to determine what we're really good at and plug ourselves into it. So there you go. And then you kind of be a swim lane. You find your swim lane, what what stroke you do well that uh, you're you're the top of, and then go with it. But even then, if you find out you're like a bronze medalist in something, you know, uh, somebody else is getting the silver and gold ahead of you. So that's where abundance comes in. It's like, well, that, that, there's not just one opportunity to use that skill. There's lots of opportunities to use that skill. So cheer up. Be happy. You've got skills. And then it's up to us to market our skills. It's up to me to market. Oh, yeah. So about 24 hours from now, I'll be on the phone doing my phone interview. It might work out. It's a great opportunity. I'll do my best and uh, see where it goes. Is it a fit, personality fit? Don't know. It's got to be me. Ask questions. So passion will come with success as well. And uh, I guess all those failures, he had passion at the beginning for stuff, but they didn't always work out. And his passion waned for certain things as time went on, but he learned something along each step of the way. So, uh, the lesson there is don't, none of us should be afraid of failure. And really only we define the failure anyways, right? So we make the failure bigger than it really is. Um, Because I think I was reading something else about we make things bigger 
Like if we, oh, it's nothing about embarrassment. It's like we, we feel the embarrassment uh, more than other people observing it. So if other people observe your embarrassment, they forget about it pretty quickly. Like, well, whatever, that guy's embarrassing, but that doesn't impact their life very much, very long. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I want to get back and I've got an action. When I get Buddy back, I'm going to sit down and write. I need to write because I can talk and talk and talk about this stuff. Whatever this stuff is, I can talk about a lot of things, lots of content, but I need to get concise, get some uh, basic message out, document it, write it, explain it. And then, then I can talk much more freely and do all the riffing and nuancing, which I prefer to do. I prefer to speak. So I'm kind of, this whole journey process, um, yeah, it takes time. So I'm going to go back. I need to write, right? So I'm making a commitment to myself and to you. Get buddy home, sit down and write, get to make some progress today, like in the next hour. And uh, I'd like to go, a lot of times I would just go home, take buddy, go to the gym and go, yeah, I need to work out today. Yeah, now's a good time to work out. Yeah, I'll work out, then I'll come home and watch some football, you know, Sunday. And I'm like, you know what? I, uh, I need to turn things around a little bit and uh, write first. And then going to the gym is going to be a reward. And uh, I've thought of that before, and I've I've practiced that once before. And I have to keep doing it, which brings us up to the point of systems versus goals. So this is from the book on Scott Adams. He's saying systems are much better than having goals. So... um, the Pomodoro writing set it, sit down, set the clock for 25 minutes, and write. It's like a system, right? So that's better than saying, well, I want to write 5,000 words today. No, the system is get your button down, sit in the chair, put the timer on, start writing, and go. And then you start moving, right? And then you end the 25 minutes are up, bing, ding, ding. You take a little break, do it again. Do it again. See what you can do. Make progress. Systemizing it. So, you know, a goal. I need to write 50,000 words, 75, 75,000 words. No, it's not. Systemize it. And, and for if you're not a writer uh, or been involved in writing world, you can say, oh, I have a goal. Most people have a goal. I want to lose 20 pounds, right? So he calls that a... Uh, it's a continuous pre-success failure mode. So in other words, if you set the goal to lose 20 pounds, you know, in the first week you might lose five and then you're down to 10 maybe in the second week and maybe then you're only down 12 and then it gets a little more difficult down 15. And you're like, oh, but my goal was 20 pounds, you know? And you may be lucky if you keep doing it, you keep getting there, right? 
But instead, he's like, put a system in place. Like, you know, you got to have a diet as your system. What are you, what kind of food are you eating? And now that one's a weak one for me because I don't, I don't do that. But I'm, my system is going to the gym three times a week and lifting weights because I just happen to be at the right age, I guess. Or I don't know if it's the right one, but for me, putting on muscle, which I've never really done before, is uh, resulting in good things like my percent body fat's going down. And so there's other uh, measures of fitness besides the 20 pounds, right? So I no longer care about 20 pounds anymore because that's just scale weight. And that's kind of like a novice's approach to fitness is to think that, oh, well, I weigh 160 pounds. I just need to get down to 145 or something. That's kind of a novice's way of approaching fitness. Because if you put a system in place of going to the gym and exercising and building muscle, you'll start to, after a year of doing that, you're going to be like, okay, I'm getting stronger. I can feel it. My muscles are getting bigger. And actually it burns more fat. And the theory is, or the discussion is, for every pound of fat or muscle you put on, you burn 50 calories a day just by having muscle. So if you have, if you can build up and put 10 pounds of muscle on, that's 500 calories a day times seven days a week. That's 3,500 calories just burning um, extra that uh, you uh, lose a pound a week of fat. So the new measurement to me is percent body fat. And I think I was around 27% and I got down to 24 now. So pretty good. Working it. Morning. Working it down. There's a guy running. So I used to run a lot and he used to think that running was the best for losing weight. I had some success at it. And the, the issue with running is it's really not muscle building. And uh, you burn calories while you're running. But uh, once you stop running, and you don't burn any calories anymore. Thus, the idea of putting on lean muscle system. So back to the systems and goals. So a couple of things happen as you go into systems. Is you set that up and you, you do it. And you also get, um, as you do the system, you're getting positive reinforcement as you go because you're spending time in the gym and you're like, okay, I did an hour in the gym, done, move on. You, you're following your system. So putting in systems, some of you already know that, especially entrepreneurs, you, you do that, you do that. You put systems in place for your emails. You have systems in place for your schedule. You have systems in place. Uh, you're very disciplined. So you have various systems. You probably just don't call them all systems and you don't probably just generalize them. You may say, Hey, I'm using, um, bucket IO or Kanjabi or MailChimp. Those are all systems, you right? And, uh, either you have to touch them every once in a while to keep them going. Just like you have to go to the gym three times a week. You probably have to touch Kajabi or touch, um, touch uh, bucket IO once in a while. Right. And, uh, yeah. So systems, put systems in place. I am not the master of that, but I am learning about it. 
so that's cool and it makes sense. And so my system this morning is going to be Pomodoro, Pomodoro writing. So I will sit down and use that system to write. So, so there's at least two systems I have going for me. Jim and uh, writing. And I'm building more and more confidence. It's a slow haul because there's my mental barriers, limiting beliefs are that I can't write or there's some other magical way of writing. But I know I can write now. I'm becoming more and more convinced of it, so I just need to put systems in place to do it. And, uh, yeah, so we're getting there. What was the other thing about limiting beliefs this week? I think I talked about limiting beliefs. There's another another uh, concept about that. But I forgot what it is already. <laughs> Probably because I didn't systemize it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Here's the, here's the thing, too, but I, I, I don't know. You, if, you know, most people go to church. I, I, I shouldn't be so apologetic about it. I don't know who the listeners are, but you must have some experience with church. Now, some people are just very uh, able to compromise on things. Like, like they may hear something dumb, and they're just like, okay, well, they didn't really mean it that way, or... They're such great people. I'll just overlook that thing, right? But I've gotten, this is why I get triggered because I, I don't know if I just decided that I'm going to use that term. My new system, I have a system in place. It's called if I hear something that upsets me, I'm going to call it triggered. Yay, what a system, right? So am I overly sensitive? I don't know. I am who I am, right? And because I'm following my system, the other system I have, which is reading a chapter a day, in the New Testament, mostly Paul, I kind of have the story down pretty well. And that's not just the story. I got the, it is what it is, right? And this is this is the basis of all churches is the Bible, right? So I know my wife's not real happy with me. So I, as far as like, she just, the easy thing to do is like, oh, come on, let's all go to this church. It's It's not that bad, you know? And it's like, why do we have to settle for, stuff. And again, I'm not a church hopper, so I'm not looking. And I gave this one a good 20 years of opportunity. And I finally come to the realization that it's just okay. And it's probably, it's not quote unquote their fault that they're just inadequate. It's just, that's the way they are. And it sounds like I'm judging them. Well, I'm making an observation. We use different words for that observation instead of judging. <laughs> but it's I like, okay, I'll give it a shot again. Because with these videotapes online now, you can just dial into the church service. So I said, okay, I'm going to walk the bud. And I'll listen to this sermon. And I know it's about in the book of Acts because they're going through the book of Acts. And I'm like, well, I know Acts, which is great, right? So let's see what the guy says about it, right? So within a couple minutes, I'm talking about Acts chapter 9. He's talking about Paul. 
and uh, how the gospel is going to change his life, right? And even the week before, the guy listened to the other message, another guy, a younger guy, talking about um, Stephen being um, stoned, martyred. And uh, he uh, talks about providence, right? Providence, which really isn't a biblical word at all, right? And the scripture really talks about the Holy Spirit. But because these guys are Baptists, they just cannot get, they can't read the word that's right there in the pages. It's right there in the page. Just say it. It's the Holy Spirit, okay? Oh, no, it's providence. You know, we'll just skip over that. We're going to call it providence because we're Southern Baptists and we can't. We can't talk about the Holy Spirit because then we'll be accused of being Pentecostal. <laughs> and these labels are killing people, right? They're just killing us. And uh, so there, that was that failure mode. So that's so I got triggered on that one um, just because of the excessive use of providence when we really should be pointing out that the Holy Spirit was working. Because that's what it says in the text, right? Well, but we can't say it, you know. And then now um, we got chapter 9. And, uh, oh, that was actually the providence was about the Ethiopian eunuch and providence. Oh, the Holy Spirit, it says, the Holy Spirit sent Philip to this guy, right? It wasn't some providential magic or something. But we won't talk about it, No. So um, now we're in chapter nine and it's about Saul becoming Paul and he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, but there's a Holy Spirit element there. But then, but then he's like, well, who is this Saul guy? And he's like, oh, he's a rich guy now. Oh, okay. All of a sudden he's a rich guy. So we're going to, we're going to talk about Paul, the rich guy. And when, and what, since that's not really in the text, where does he get that from, right? So he's like, oh, okay, well, he's a Roman citizen. Oh, okay, that, okay, if you're a Roman citizen, okay, I get it. You're a Roman citizen, okay, so you're rich because you're a Roman citizen. Uh, that doesn't quite make sense. But um, he's like, oh, well, the reason he's rich because he's a Roman citizen is because he, he was Jewish. So, you know, if you find out later in Acts, he says that, uh, that Paul bought his Roman citizenship. So he had to be rich, right? And it's like, eh, 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 trigger, trigger alert. That is not what happens later in the book of Acts. Because I know that because I read it a bunch of times. And I read it over again. And I love reading it. And you know what it is, is, is that Paul was in a discussion with a jailer at the end of the book of Acts. And and uh, Paul was back in Jerusalem and was, uh, they were trying to, Jewish people were trying to kill him. And Paul claimed his Roman citizenship. And the jailer asked him a question. He's like, well, how did you become a Roman citizen? He says, I, I had to pay a lot of money to become a Roman citizen. And uh, Paul said, well, I was born a Roman citizen. 
he was born one because his parents were in Tarsus and somehow he was born into the Roman citizenship. So Paul wasn't wealthy. He didn't buy it. Now, maybe there's an implied sense that his parents did or his parents' parents or parents' 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 parents before that. But Paul himself, it doesn't, it doesn't translate to say that Paul was rich because he bought his citizenship because that's not what the text says. It says the jailer did, right? So I'm triggered. I'm triggered. And 99.999% of the people listening will be like, oh, wow, okay, Paul's rich. And he might have been rich, right? You know, there, you know, he did bring up the other reason that he might be rich, uh, that uh, that he went to Galamiel to study under him in Jerusalem. And for a Jew to go to Jerusalem from Tarsus to study Judaism, he probably had to have some wealth, money. And what any, I don't know where he's going with this because I don't know what any of this crap has to do with Acts chapter 9 because it wasn't like Jesus said, uh, hey, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul didn't go, because I'm rich. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not in the text. So I'm triggered already in the first five minutes of this talk. And that's just who I am. And honestly, there is absolutely zero nothing wrong with me, right? Because I'm just, it's like I learn this stuff and and uh, I'm sharing it with you because maybe you don't think as much as I do when you go to church, if you go to church, right? And one of the sad things I'm experiencing is like, it goes along with the lines of not asking people why you're like leaving the church. And this assumption that, like, if you leave our church, you must not have faith in God. As if this, 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 like, disconnect, this cognitive dissonance of, wait, our message is about this amazing God that goes back through all time that created everything. But somehow, these brilliant slave owners in 1850 that split off from the other Baptists and formed the Southern Baptist Convention, somehow they magically own God, right? So now it sounds like I'm real critical of the Southern Baptist Convention, which I might be. But it's not my goal. It's not my calling to fix them, right? So my calling is to say, hey, everybody, it's the Holy Spirit, people. It's not providence. It's the Holy Spirit. So here's another dog. Morning. So your dog's hanging in there still, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. All right. Have a good day. Hey. Let's go, Budge. Don't take advantage of those old dogs. <laughs> so. So. Uh, yeah, the calling is to look the Holy Spirit and just it's not even it's like to me it's so clear it's like I got sucked into like thinking like yeah we're we got it figured out and, oh because all churches have issues that church over there must have an issue and they probably do but the point being is you know we're not going to get a perfect church 
organization. My recommendation is to be able to use your gifts because I believe every person is gifted. And if you don't have an avenue to use your gifts, well, you're just going to be constrained and be frustrated like I am. So, and this, you know, we have a message that there's this huge God out there, which I do believe in. And he's bigger than these organizations. So, you know, I, I, I suppose they would say, like, well, you, might, you just got to play well in the sandbox with this and stuff. I'm like, okay, well, that might be the end result of it. But I got to stick to my conviction that one of the reasons all of us are, and you know, they're statistically saying people are leaving the church. Well, I think it's because their organizations, the spirit of God is opening people's minds up. There's more information, more knowledge. And you can read this stuff yourself. So the more you read it, the more you see these little nuanced problems with the messages they send. And I'm really tempted to like listen to more of that talk. I only listen to five or 10 minutes, but I got to put blinders on and get to writing, right? So the temptation for me is to like, okay, let me listen to the rest he says about Paul. And maybe 90% of it is right and good about the conversion, but he probably won't discuss the Holy Spirit because I know that they're not just, you know, it's like, like people would be yelling at me like right now, you guys should be yelling at me like, give it up, Mike, just move on, do your thing, put blinders on, write your damn book, not, not your damn book, but write your book, right? So I got to, but we're about 10 minutes from home and I got to talk it out because the temptation is for me to listen to the rest of that, find out some more things wrong with it and nobody's going to care except for me. So it's not going to do anything. <laughs> it's just another example of failure modes. And they don't seem to want to learn. I mean, I think I'm one hell of a resource for any pastor or minister for me to listen to their sermons and say, no, that's not right. No, that's not good. Change this. Don't say that. Say this instead, you know. So I, I don't want to be doing the sermons every week, right? Like I don't want to. I don't want to be the guy who gives the sermon every week, right? Because it's just there's so many other constraints. One of the reasons the dudes probably aren't that good at it is because they actually don't take the time to read the whole thing. In fact, the dude, the dude, the same dude that's saying Paul's rich, he's probably reading a commentary on that too. And the commentary probably says, well, you know, remember Paul's rich, you know, you know, it's like not even in the text or it's irrelevant, right? So, um, and then the guy will try to make it relevant, right? So that's the other thing too, is like, um, he's, he's going down a path already just in the first couple of minutes, he's. He's going down this path of Paul being rich for some reason, which is irrelevant. I know it's irrelevant already, but he probably read a commentary that said it was. Just like in Acts chapter 6, when he talked about conflict and that people are oh, complaining. He made a big deal out of complaining. Well, that was in a commentary. 
right? So the guy's not really smoking what he's selling, right? This is a case where the guy, I could tell him, he's like, dude, you guys, you guys aren't really smoking what you're selling. You're selling the Bible, selling the word. But instead of like spending an hour just look, looking at it fresh, you get all panicky and you're like, well, I got to so I got to stand up in front of this church for 30 to 40 minutes and give this amazing present, you know, sermon for the church, you know, and it better be like, great. So, you know, what did uh, Robert Sinclair or uh, what did this Jonathan Edwards from 1740 or 1780, what did he say about this passage? Oh, man, I bet you that's insightful. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Complaining. We don't want to be complaining in Acts 6. Yeah, because that's what the commentary said, you know? <laughs> it's like, really? Do we? You're going to go with that? Why don't you just read it and go, oh, he just said that they complained because that's how Stephen came about. Oh, okay, I get it. No, no, no need to go on a bunny trail of... of uh, I don't complaining because because I just feel like I think it's a good thing for a church to do the church leaders to tell the congregation not to complain. That is a good practice as a business to tell your members not to complain. <laughs> Especially when you got the Bible to back you up, man. Come on, how can you argue with that, man? Look what happened with Moses in the in the Exodus, man. Those Jews, man, were complaining. Yeah, yeah, it's a good practice, good for business to tell the people not to complain. Because how can you argue with the Bible? Yeah, okay, I said that already. So, um, to me, it's it's like I don't understand why the guys just don't read it and think, like, how does this apply today? Or what is the... Why am I reading this? Even even the point of like, who's writing it? It's Luke, right? And the guy, the other thing the guy said in the first five minutes, which kind of tweaked me off, was like, oh, wait, wait, this chapter nine, oh, this is Saul, Paul, and he he's like the, the most important character in in the book of Acts. Like, oh, man. Saul, oh, oh, he's the most important guy. Oh, wow. Well, why is that? You know, again, it's short-sighted. It's limiting things to the book of Acts. It's like there's this huge habit of reading the Bible and just looking at the bark on the tree instead of the big picture. So the big picture is Saul is the most, first of all, Luke's writing it. Who's Luke? Well, he's the guy that hung out with Paul. Gee, do you think the guy hanging out with Paul and going on three or four missionary journeys or two or whatever the number is, you think you think the guy that's like writing down the story of how all this stuff happened over 15 to 20 years, do you think that guy, since he hung out with Paul, that he might uh, emphasize what Paul was doing and what happened to Paul? Oh, gee. And the fact that the early church founding decided to include 
a lot of letters from Paul. And on a book basis, the New Testament is like more than half of the books are Paul's writings. So it's not just that, oh, he's the, he's the most important character in the book of Acts. That, that's the kind of comment you get from someone that uh, looks at the Bible as a, a clinical um, mixture or something. I guess you'd say like it's pure, like what's the content of the book of Acts? Well, it's 60% Paul, you know, and 20% Peter and, you know, 5% John, you know. It's like very clinical, analytical view of the book of Acts. And uh, and then and then you go to these other books like, oh, let's look at Philippians where Paul writes this. Let's pull these verses out and slap them on you. Instead of like, what's the flow? What's going on? And the thread to me, which they don't want to talk about, is the Holy Spirit working through Paul about a very simple message and trying to communicate it to others. And there you go. And, you know, James, I came up with a curious question today was as reading James, because Martin Luther doesn't like James. He wants to tear it out of the Bible. And uh, I mean, I kind of found a way to deal with it. And that is the works concept, right? Faith without works. That's a big argument between Roman Catholics and Protestants, I guess. It's like, Oh no, you gotta have works, man. You gotta do works to show your faith. And Protestants are like, Yeah, okay, well, okay. We're gonna go do the Great Commission, man. Great Commission. <laughs> and so 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 the Protestants say, Well, our works, so we're doing yeah, we're doing this. Oh, you Roman Catholics are bad, you don't get it. So there's a bit of argument over it, right? So I'm like, Well, works to me is like if are are not as dramatic as many of these groups make out. Because if you let the Spirit lead in your life, and you know that we're sinners in our core, it's not that we did some big sins in the past and somehow we were saved from our big sins in the past. We're just sinners in general. That's the human condition. So maybe some big sins you did had some consequences. Like they had a little testimony of a dude that was like... uh, uh, stole a car in Phoenix and he and his buddy were stole a car in 2007 I think he said it's like 12 years ago and these guys were probably high school or early 20s and they're, they're the cop runs the plates and finds out it's stolen so now the police are chasing him and they decide to run for it and not, not only not only did they try to run for it one of the guys had a gun and started shooting at the cop from his car so like how stupid is that so that is that's definitely a sin and it's kind of dramatic right but it's just stupid right i mean and you step back at it i mean the guy when you're in it if you're that guy and you're you don't you can't you don't have any objectivity you're just you're just like living your life and making the best choices you you think you can so the dudes get arrested, of course, for uh, firing a gun and shooting and stealing a car. And so they, I mean, if they didn't shoot their gun off, 
if they just pulled over and goes, okay, you busted me. Probably would have been in jail for a year, maybe. I don't know. But as soon as you start firing a gun off at the cops, you're going to be like, they got like 10 years in prison, right? So we do stupid stuff. I've done stupid stuff. Dilbert even does stupid stuff. So it's like how to fail and win. But we, the churches, I mean, I think people go to the churches because it's good and you feel like, oh, okay, I'm forgiven. I was stupid. I went to jail for 10 years, you know. And uh, and we spiritualize it to like, oh, it's great. You're, you found the gospel and you're forgiven. And it's all true, right? It's great. But unfortunately, even on this podcast, we all have this so what and what now and deep in our souls because there's 7 billion people on the planet. We can't listen to everybody's story, can we? Right? So uh, I love the guy because it's love everyone always, right? But, you know, we're better off if we have friends that tell us, hey, that was stupid, you know? And now we got to pay the consequences. I, I pay the consequences for my stupidity, right? We all do, you know, we, but is, is it really stupidity or is it just something, are we going to learn from it? I guess that's the message today is uh, systems and goals and learning from failure. And, uh, you know, we don't need to tell as Jerry Maguire again, good old Renee Zellweger. He's like, we don't have to tell our sad stories. <laughs> Oh, man, can I work in a Jerry Maguire reference in just about everything? Maybe. They came to mind. It was, as you know, it's unplanned. This is an unscripted podcast because I don't plan these things out. But, uh, you know, so the guy told his sad story about going to jail for 10 years. And it is sad. And what do we all learn from it? And the other thing about mentors and things and reading books is you can learn from other people's mistakes. So here's a Scott Adams who just outlined in one chapter like 10 or 15 of his business failures over a 20-year period or something. It's like, hey, that's great. I don't have to do that. Plus, I have my own, my own failures. So I should probably, instead of being embarrassed by things, uh, and, and these, these failures that Scott Adams writes down, they're not admittingly, they're not, they don't, they're not failures because he's a failure. They're just failures because he realizes later on, he didn't think about all the possibilities, right? So some of his restaurants examples, he had a couple of restaurants and he actually did do a dill burrito. I didn't know that, but, uh, Dilbert is the comic book. And what do you think a dill burrito is? It's a burrito named after Dilbert. Now, you know, he thought that was going to be a successful venture. And it was for a while. But competition came in and they weren't ready for the big boys to squeeze them out on shelf space and stuff. So it failed. He's like, he's good with it. Another restaurant, he opened a restaurant in a location where there weren't any restaurants before. But then within a year or so, 
some big chains moved in and took some of his customers. So, I mean, restaurant business has got to be tough because, you know, it's it's small decisions and you might get a $50 In-N-Out burger, for example. You might get a average bill might be 15 bucks. So you got to get a lot of average 15 bucks, you know, and you're not going to get a 10x. Rarely do you get a 10x at, at uh, In-N-Out burger. I mean, I, you know, if a bus comes in, a school bus, right? But anyways, they have their business model, and In-N-Out Burger works because people know what they're going to get, and they know it's probably going to cost them 10 bucks, and they're going to be in and out of there in 45 minutes, have a good food, half hour. But if some other burger joint opens up, uh next door well you know it could help you or it could hurt you right i mean the fact that you have two burger joints in the same area people can go there and you and you don't have to decide people decide at the last minute anyways i mean how much planning do you do if you think about it how much planning do you do to go to in and out burger i mean sometimes it's just driving around going huh kind of hungry I think I'm going to go in here and get an In-N-Out burger. So you do. So anyways, his failure was that the his his uh, restaurant eventually wasn't doing financially that well. So and he attributed it to the fact that competitors came in and opened up restaurants that were as good as his. So the people had more choices. So no matter how good his restaurant was, um, it was limited to to that. So uh, how does all this apply to you, to me? You know, be comfortable with failure and consider it more like an experience, learn and grow model. Like learn this thing and. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to get my sweater off. Anyway, so we're home. I got to go get to writing soon, like within, within a few minutes. And uh, that's what we're going to do. So you'll never know if I was successful at writing. But uh, no, actually, you will. But you won't know if I'm successful today at writing. You will know if I get there. Right? So I'm dropping my ear pod things. And now I got them both working again. So I don't know if that sounded funny or not. But it is what it is. Systems along with goals. Systems. Okay. So this Sunday afternoon, maybe you're traveling on the Thanksgiving weekend. It's Sunday of, the, of this wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. Was it a success for you? And uh, if it wasn't a success, what did you learn from it? And uh, there you go. It's all right, everybody. We need, we need grace. 
and we need mercy, and we need peace. Go forth and prosper.